We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Bellato. Coming to you from the sunny, sunny Florida right now, Fort Lauderdale. Had a chance to come out here, spend some time with my friend who had a baby down here. Got to meet the baby, went to a Panthers playoff game, which was pretty awesome. I'm not going to lie, Nick. Florida Panthers, they won 5-1. They did lose game three, so that sucked. And we watched that game together too, and my friend is like a diehard Panthers fan. He moved down here and just decided... Eh, I'm going to be a diehard Panthers fan and really bought in. He's like Giants level fandom that we have. And game three sucked, but game two was awesome. They won 5 1. The crowd was rocking. It was a great time. So great week for me. How about you, Nick? How are you doing? I'm good, Dan. I'm good. I went tubing down the Salt River here in Arizona, which is this big thing that a bunch of Arizona people do. It's a lot of fun. You know, you're getting tan, you're drinking, but kind of insanely disgusting at the same time because everybody is getting really <laughs> drunk. Really, though, man, everybody's getting so damn drunk, bro, and there's no bathrooms. So where do you think everybody's peeing? Where do you think all that piss is going? It's going right into the river that is getting in your mouth and getting into your drinks when people splash. And that was like the main thing that was on my mind the entire time. So it was a fun experience. I appreciated it, but the back of my mind was going crazy. Total George Costanza there because there are no freaking pipes there. It's all just sitting there. Got to say, it really puts the P in PH. (laughs) <laughs> you, you, I know what you're saying. You also struck me as someone who like won't take a pee in the ocean. Are you? A, I won't take a pee in the ocean. Or you don't. You're you're not for people taking pee in ocean, taking piss in the ocean. You know me so well, bro. <laughs> I did not piss the entire freaking time. Oh I my god! But no, I agree. It's a little different when there's no outlet for the for the pee. Like in the ocean, I just feel like it just gets washed into the the main the main ocean area. So I just never really worried about it. Are you out? Are you anti peeing in the ocean? You know what? I'm not going to <laughs> scold anybody for peeing in the ocean. I don't pee in the ocean though. Wow, you've never pissed in the ocean? Maybe like when I was really young or something like that, like in maybe my teenage years. But as an adult, no, I don't believe I've ever peed. Wow. In the ocean. Wow. Unreal. I think you might be one of the only people I know who doesn't do that. So kudos to you. You're doing it. You're doing a, you know, it's better to do it the way you're doing it. I'm not going to lie, but look, if I got to pee and I'm at the beach, I'm running into the ocean and I'm peeing and I'm not thinking twice, but if I was with you on that tubing trip, I gotta be honest, Nick, I probably would have joined your friends and just taken a piss when I needed to. What are you going to do? What'd you do? You held it in. Yeah, I just held it in Well, I wasn't drinking. Oh, so God, it made it, it made it very easy. Yeah, I know. I made it very easy to hold it in. Cause I wasn't, I wasn't consuming any alcohol. But uh, I probably would have just, you know, went off, rafted my tube, went up into like the little woods and peed. By the way, Dan, did you know there are wild horses? Not until I saw you tweet about it. I had no idea. Well, I knew there were wild horses because when I was in uh, Australia, I went on a surf trip and there was just like random wild horses roaming around. But I didn't know there were just random wild horses in Arizona. That part would surprise me. It surprised me as well. And I actually expressed this shock. And then somebody would like gave me like a scolding look like, you didn't know that. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm from Jersey. And they go, yeah, well, I'm not from the state either. Am I supposed to feel stupid for not knowing this? Like they kind of made me feel like I was a moron or something. I didn't know that was common knowledge. 
Yeah, that person sounds like a moron to me or just somebody who sucks and I wouldn't want to spend any time with. Well, anyway, let's talk Giants football. That's what we're here to do. That's what people want. So let's give what the people want. And so we're talking today about a couple of things. We're talking about decision to release James Bradbury, which came, I guess, 72, 72 hours later than expected. So gave some fans hope that maybe, just maybe, they wouldn't cut him. But I think ultimately we kind of knew this was coming. They needed to uh, create cap room. We'll talk about that. We're going to talk about what's left now on the cornerback depth chart after Bradbury's release and after obviously not investing any first or second round picks, though a third round pick at corner in the draft. What that means for the 2022 season, what that means for the 2022 season within Wink Martindale's system, like how specific that is to his system. And then finally, we're going to do some draft winners and draft losers. So this is not like necessarily just the players the Giants drafted. This is the players on the rosters who benefited or lost the most from the draft. So let's start with James Bradbury cut, Nick. I don't think it's surprising to me. I know that there was some renewed optimism when he wasn't released on Friday, but ultimately they needed to create this cap space. There was no real other option for it. They already had created cap space earlier this offseason by restructuring a Dory Jackson's contract. And when you looked across the roster, there just wasn't anything else to restructure. That's what this that's what they had. That's what Joe Shane inherited from the past regime. A roster without any young players that they could uh, restructure. They could have potentially restructured Leonard Williams, but dear God, did you really want to make that a 45 or $50 million cap hit at some point? Because that's where it's trending already pre-restructure. And so if you kicked a lot of dead cap on the Leonard Williams contract, well, now you're paying him more than, you know, even an Aaron Donald. So they were at a point where they didn't really have an option here. And when NFL teams know you don't have an option, you're probably not going to be able to get a trade done. We've learned since that part of the issue with not getting a trade done was that Teams didn't want to come to terms with what Bradbury was asking for. And that makes sense, too, because, look, they knew Bradbury was going to get cut. He was going to get paid some of the money from the Giants. I think it's like 11 million dead cap the Giants are taking on to, to bring their total to like 30 million in dead cap. And they knew they could sign him for a cheaper deal. And so that's what's going to happen. He's going to sign with a playoff team, in my opinion, for a cheaper deal. But why they had to do this, Nick, in my opinion, it all comes down to what happened with the prior regime. They made a decision to sign a wrong side of 30 safety. Camp doesn't play the deep half. He's not really a good alley defender. Was a great locker room presence and fit the Graham system pretty solidly and had a really nice year, his first year with the Giants and Logan Ryan. But you have to look forward on these deals. You have to look to the future. When you're signing someone at that age who doesn't play a premium position, in my opinion, because he's not playing the deep half well, and he's not really that crazy great alley defender, like a, somebody shoot, like, you know, like a, even what we expected at times Joe Brill Peppers to be. What really is he? And why are you giving him a three-year, $30 million contract where there's going to be dead cap down the line? They also signed a wash tight end who's coming off Liz Frank surgery, something they knew about with Kyle Rudolph, decided to sign him anyway. So that between those two players, that's 14.86 million in dead cap. That alone, that alone could have been used to, to keep James Bradbury for one more year here with the Giants. And of course, Nate Solder, a player who they deemed to be worthy of being a swing tackle last year for God only knows what any reason why. Literally, of any league veteran minimum, I think the player could have done just as well as Solder pretty much. That's another four million dead cap. So that's 18.86 million total right there, Nick. That was more than enough to keep Bradbury for one more year if they wanted him. So don't look any further than that. There were no players to restructure, and there was dead cap that shouldn't have been there. And that could have been used on Bradbury, but it's not. And so we move forward here, and I think it's a lesson forward for the Giants here. Look, I don't think this is going to happen under Shane. I don't see them signing a Kyle Rudolph type when they know he has Liz Frank. I don't see them extending a Logan Ryan because he has a good year after no one wanted him in free agency, and the Giants gave him 10 mil on a one-year deal, or no one wanted him at that price tag, and he fit the system. And obviously just tallying that Nate Solder contract two extra years. I don't think it's going to happen under Shane. So I think this is good news in the long run. But obviously for the short run, it leaves the Giants shorthanded at corner. Yeah, it's not a surprise that this was going to happen. We all knew it was coming down the pipeline. How else are you going to afford your draft class that you just selected to your team? James Bradbury, the entire NFL knew the Giants were in this position. They can all do math. They can see the fact that the prior regime put Joe Shane into a situation where He's going to have to make some really, really tough decisions, which Joe Shane acknowledged as well. And this is also a byproduct of the fact that the previous regime never really fully committed to a rebuild. It was always kind of like patchwork, just patchwork here, band-aid here. We're going to spend a lot of money in free agency and we're going to attack hard. And you know what? At the time you think about it, it's like, okay, well, that's the position they're in. Let's see what happens. And it just blew up. Total catastrophe blew up right into their face. And 
it's going to bleed into Joe Shane's era. It could be a tough 2022 season, to be real. I mean, when you think about Wink Martindale's scheme, which we'll get into in a little bit. James Bradbury, there's no denying it, Dan. He's a good damn football player. Is he the perfect fit for a man-heavy scheme? Maybe not. Can he be an effective player in that? Yes, I just think he can be maximized in his own scheme. Somebody's going to get James Bradbury, and I just freaking hope it's not the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, and the, the, the tough thing is the Eagles make the most sense completely. We discussed it when we did the draft grades and we reviewed what they did in the draft, but just alone their decision to go ahead and get a player like Jordan Davis in the draft allows them to potentially do exactly what they want within that Gannon system. And what they're going to want to do is play like you talked about, Nick, a lot of cover two, cover three, cover four, two high safety looks, middle of the field open. Who's perfect to play corner in within that system? James Bradbury. He's absolutely perfect to play corner in that system. And so they're, they're the type of team that I'm worried about getting him. And, you know, you look at what, like, Greg Rosenthal said, who's from around the NFL, and a, and a writer I really respect, and as I respect, he's like, look, the Giants are 30th in cash spending. They could have kept Bradbury if they wanted to, if they wanted to make it work. But the reality of the situation is they really couldn't have, in my mind, because like I said, Adoria was really the only contract they could afford to restructure. It was already restructured. And yeah, they could have redone Bradbury's deal, right? And they could have added years and added future caps, dead cap hits and kept Bradbury. Because look, what Rosenthal is trying to say, and I get it, is he's he was, you said it best, Nick. Bradbury is arguably one of the one or two or three best players on this team over the past two years. Even if you can consider what 2021 was a quote unquote down season, which for his standard, maybe it was, but he still played good ball. We watched the film, Nick. He was still really good in space, spatial awareness. He got his hand on a lot of footballs. He was great in contested catch situations. And yeah, he got burned over the top sometimes. But aside from that, he was a really good player. And so, yeah, they're giving up one of their best players. But at the same time, they're making the decision to not repeat a past mistake like they made with Logan Ryan, like they made with Nate Solder, like they made with all these players by restructuring Bradbury's deal redoing it, pushing cap it back for a player who one is getting up there in age. I know he's only 28, but two doesn't fit the system. Well, and three showed some signs of decline last year. If you're just looking at pure speed and ability to play man coverage, I agree. It wasn't the worst season in the world, but he showed some signs of decline. So I like the decision not to push the cap. It's back. But the point is this, they could have had one more year out of him if they didn't make those past mistakes. That remains true, but at least they're not doubling down. And at least they're not saying, look, let's restructure the deal and let's push it back. So I'm happy that they're not doing that while at the same time, sad that they just simply have too much dead cap already to afford him for one more year. And that, those two things can coexist, and I think that's really important because what you said, that's a nuanced take that makes a lot of sense. But we have to look at the immediate right now and start there, right, with 2022, with the New York Giants who are on the roster. You minus James Bradbury from this group of players, Dan, and you're looking at one injury away from being in dire straits, in my opinion. And I even think with the current state of the cornerbacks, it's – a bottom five unit around the league. I would have to bring up the other depth charts to really kind of solidify that. But if they did finish bottom five by whatever PFF rank or whatever kind of quantifiable statistic you want to evaluate them by, I would not be shocked by that whatsoever. Yeah, you're 100% right. And that's really what it brings. Like, you got you factored that in, Nick. And then you also factor in the importance of cornerbacks playing man coverage within the Wink Martindale system. And that's really what heightens the alarm for me as far as 2022 goes. Look, they're taking a forward look. They're not as concerned with 2022 as the fans are going to be. I understand that. Fans will always be concerned with the now. There will always be an idea that they can win. And they're still going to try to win this year. That's why it hurts me so much that they had to cut Bradbury. They couldn't keep him for one more year and then cut him next year at a lower dead cap. And when they have more options to build a cornerback position. Because I still want them to, you know, they're still looking like any other team and any other regime. They're trying to still compete while rebuilding. Every team's doing that, even if they're not doing it the same way that the past regime did it, like the Giants under Gettleman, where they, you know, were quote unquote rebuilding, but never really committed to a rebuild and just kept patchwork, like you said earlier on the podcast, Nick. But the point is, without these guys, without Bradbury and with what's left on the depth chart, Adore Jackson. Maybe if we're lucky, Cordell Flott, who we admitted and know is ultimately a developmental prospect at 20 years old with a body type right now that doesn't look right, doesn't look ready to hold up at the NFL level at 175 pounds. Aaron Robinson, who for the most part, Nick, when we evaluated him, said we probably want to see him in the slot. We we saw some things we liked on the outside last year in a very limited sample size, but you probably want to see him in the slot. 
Darnay Holmes, who really doesn't have the arm length to play outside, and then the Jaron Williams of the world, and then, you know, the Rodarius Williams of the world, the players who you're like, and the Julian Love of the world, the guy who, eh, Julian Love looked okay on the outside a couple years ago, but that was in his own heavy scheme. And I don't really see too many fits outside of a Dory Jackson for this man-heavy coverage scheme under Wink Martindale. And even under Dory Jackson's case, it's someone who's been injured in each of the last four seasons. And so I get nervous, Nick, because if you don't have corners who can play in this system, you're going to get torched. We saw it last year with Baltimore. Baltimore had as good of a defensive line. Now, maybe you can say Kayvon Thibodeau tips the scale there, right? And Kayvon Thibodeau makes it a little bit different. And I'm fine with that. If Kayvon Thibodeau can break out in year one, Zizo Jalari can take a big step. I can see a case to be made that things won't be the same. But what we saw in Baltimore last year, Nick, was when those corners went down in that Wink Martindale system, Joe Burrow put up 500 yards. And then Joe Burrow came back and did it again and put up another 450. And everyone was torching that secondary. And when you want to play this style of defense, you need man coverage corners. And right now, I just don't trust them. So you want to talk about the offensive line. You want to talk about Daniel Jones. You want to talk about the receivers, whatever, the passing game. My biggest concern as far as winning and losing games right now in the 2022 season is the cornerback position. Yes, same here. And I want to start with the the top two perceived guys. Adoree Jackson, lock him in, cornerback one. I think a healthy Adoree Jackson can hold up in his Wink Martindale scheme well. I think he has all the man coverage ability that you need. He's plenty athletic, plenty fluid, but he gets dinged up. Then you look at cornerback two, Dan, and that's where you think, I guess it's Aaron Robinson, right? Aaron Robinson played more snaps outside than he did in the slot last year. I think he can hold up out there. Do I think it's a certainty, something that you feel confident that he can execute? No, not necessarily. I want to see a little bit more tape, but I'm willing to give him that chance to win the cornerback two spot out there. But then behind Aaron Robinson, you have Rodarius Williams and Jaron Williams. Because Cordell Flott more than likely is going to be relegated to the slot and compete with Darnay Holmes for snaps there. So you're looking at a six-round pick from 2021. And Jaron Williams as the guys behind Aaron Robinson if Aaron Robinson fails. Now, I think and believe the Giants will pursue a veteran, maybe Jimmy Smith, they can afford somebody else possibly, or they'll look to add some players that they like who are cut and tried to be squeaked onto other practice squads. But that's still after training camp. There's ways to go until then. And then there's another name that interests me a little bit. It's not ideal because of the current state of the safety position. But Julian Love comes to my mind as somebody who has a lot of experience playing outside at Notre Dame against really, really good programs. And we also saw him do it, Patrick Graham's scheme in 2020. And I felt like he held up admirably there. I think that's another option in a very desperate situation, but it's still a very desperate situation, Dan. Yeah, it is because a guy like Love, I like him. He's a great player. He's done so much for the Giants and gets so little credit across the board for how much he's contributed and you know, what he's been able to do in such a variety of roles. But the one role I don't really want to see him in, Nick, is outside corner in a Wink Martindale system. I'm okay with him at outside corner in a Patrick Graham system. But in a Wink Martindale system, I just don't know if I can trust that. And I just don't know if he has what it takes to hold up there. But like you said, when you compare it to the Jaron Williams of the world or Darius Williams coming off an injury to the world, even Aaron Robinson and, you know, Cordell Flott, I just feel like maybe you're right. Maybe Love has the best chance of being the outside guy here. I do like what I saw from Robinson, but at the same time, I just don't know if he too has the foot speed. None of these guys strike me besides Flot potentially as having the combination of foot speed and length to hold up on that boundary in the, uh, you know, as a, an outside corner in this system. And that's what scares me the most. You mentioned guys like Jimmy Smith. They, they're not, I doubt they'll have the money for a Jimmy Smith type. I know he might want to come here cheaper to play with Wink Martindale potentially, but I don't know if that's going to be first on his mind. Maybe he's more concerned with signing with a winning program, or maybe he's more concerned with maximizing his value and getting the most money, which you know we see a lot from athletes, as understood. They have families to provide for. So I'm not going to bank on a Jimmy Smith type. I can see what you're saying, the second thing you said, Nick, which is like maybe they sneak some guys through the practice squad or they get some like cheap one-year veteran minimum who has experience in a man-coverage-heavy system, and you can put him there. But even if you get one of those guys, I'm really worried about their ability to cover on the outside. And what I'm most worried about, Nick, is this impacting what Wink Martindale wants to do on defense schematically, right? Like, is this going to force him to have to adjust his system? Is this going to force him to have to not do things to maximize his defense that he 
that he can normally do from a schematic standpoint because he just doesn't trust these guys on the outside and because they get killed. I mean, if you look at last year, <laughs> the answer is probably no, because when that happened at, in Baltimore, when they had all those injuries at corner, he kind of just said, F it, and this is my system, let's run it. And they got torched. They got absolutely steamrolled by teams like the Bengals. And it wasn't just the Bengals. Everyone was throwing on the Ravens at the end of the year. They were one of the worst past defenses in the NFL, which is so rare. We hadn't seen that from the Ravens at any point under Wink Martindale. And so – it all rings bells, alarm bells in my head. Like this cornerback position, yeah, the offensive line, it's not there yet, but I at least feel like it can get there with Evan Neal and with Mark Lewinsky and with the depth they added on the interior and obviously Andrew Thomas. Daniel Jones at least feel like can get there. He's shown some flashes that maybe if he has some protection, he can play better. You know, Saquon Barkley, we've already seen it. He can get there. The receivers, we've already seen it on Kenny Galladay's tape in the past. He can get there. Darius Tony can get there. I feel like everyone can really get there except – the corner position, man. I don't know if they're getting there in 2022. And I don't know if they, unless Cordell Flott really excels on the outside, because that's to me, their best bet by far from an upside standpoint, as far as playing outside corner. Cause at least for me, when I watch Flott, I see someone who looks a little different than Robinson and love on the outside, at least. I disagree a little yeah. bit. I think to, to me, Aaron Robinson is the guy I'm most hopeful for. For, okay. for me, it, it becomes more dire if it doesn't hit. Now, I don't think it's a certainty that it will hit, you know, second year player, but I, I remain optimistic about Robinson, a guy who didn't have a training camp last year, a guy who stepped onto the field and showed some pretty good press man tape. If you go back to the Eagles game, I mean, he's going up against Jalen Rager and say what you want about Jalen Rager. He's a bust, but he's mostly a bust because he drops football and has huge concentration errors. The guy still has really, really quick feet at the line of scrimmage. And I felt like Aaron Robinson was matching that well. Now that fourth and 10 play at the end of the fourth quarter, Rager probably should have caught that football, but like Robinson was all over him throughout that rep. And that was a play where Jalen Hurts extemporized and extended the play. And Robinson had, it was Robinson was in coverage for like six full seconds or something like that. And then he had plenty of other pass breakups on Rager throughout that game. He had one that was on a, a quick fourth and two. I remember where he got his inside arm into the catch point on a quick slant where Rager fired his feet at the line of scrimmage. And then he also had a deflection by the pylon in the end zone a little bit uh, before the fourth and 10 play in the fourth quarter. So I do remain high on Aaron Robinson, but it's not like I'm going into the season like, oh, we have Aaron Robinson. We're fine because things can still go wrong. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. But Robinson is definitely still the guy that I would say if I had to pick one person opposite of a door. Jackson it would be him yeah it's interesting because I'm I'm so still so high on Robinson on in a slot role I'm just curious about the outside role but you'd bring up a good point he really did look good there in limited reps I just worry about when the matchup is not Jalen Rager and it's either Devontae Smith or AJ Brown or it's either you know Terry McLaurin or Jahan Dotson or it's you go across the league and you see all these teams that have stacked one two at receiver I'm a little more worried when it's not the Jalen Ragers of the world because Rager was a good college receiver for sure but you know, he's going to be buried on that Eagles depth chart. There was rumors he was going to get traded. I don't think he's been a great NFL pro, even aside from the drops. I just don't, from when I've seen him, I, he wasn't what I expected him to be coming out of college. So I get it. And I'm optimistic that you're going to be right on this, Nick, because they need it so badly. But I'm curious why you think, because uh, you, you've mentioned it, what what are your thoughts on Flot playing, you know, developing? Because, again, still 20 years old. I still think there's a, a lot of room to grow there as far as what he will be versus what he can be or what he is now, I should say, versus what he will be. What are your thoughts on him potentially at some point becoming an outside corner rather than just being relegated to what he, we've seen him do well, which is defending the slot? I'm pretty sure Joe Shane said, didn't Joe Shane say something about how they selected him to play slot? I, I could be wrong there. But, I mean, he played, I think, if I'm not mistaken, didn't he play more snaps outside? He did in, in college, yes. Yeah, in college, but I, I did like his tape in the slot. I think he's fluid enough to handle slot reps, and I think that he can play outside. I think that's another thing that Shane is probably attracted to is the fact that he is a little bit versatile in the sense that he can align inside, he can align outside. I think being 175 pounds is a big issue. He's not yeah. the – he looks long on tape, to be to be real. Like, I, I thought he was, like, a really long cornerback. He's kind of high-hipped, and then he showed up at the combine, and his arm length was, I think, in like the 10th percentile or something, which was kind of shocking. So he doesn't necessarily, I guess, t uh, measure to be long, but he appears long on tape. I think he can align outside, but I, I think they're going to start him off in the slot, and I don't really have much to base that off of. His tape suggests that he'll be good on the slot. He has some good reps outside. I mean, he played safety 
from pre to post snap. Sometimes there were times where they aligned him as that apex defender, dropped him into a deep middle role, and he executed that well. I think he's a pretty fluid player, and I remain high on that. But the 20-year-old aspect and then the just the, the 175-pound right. aspect are the two things that I kind of come back to and think, okay, we could try him in the slot, have him compete with Darnay Holmes, see what happens. Definitely still an option, but I remain more optimistic about Aaron Robinson. That's fair. I can understand who I also that. Like, who I also liked better just from their college tape, Aaron Robinson. I like Aaron Robinson's college tape better than Cordell Flott's. I like Flott, but Flott, just excuse the size and everything. This guy had, what, one interception in his entire college career? Like he doesn't, yeah. he didn't show the ball skills that, that you want from a day two selection at cornerback. That's fair. I guess for me, I'm just banking too much on the traits. Like I just, when I watch Flott, I, to me, he looks like an NFL quarterback from, like you said, it just seems like he looks longer on film. It seems like he does a good job breaking on balls. I, it's, it's tough to say what, what it is. It's almost just like a feel thing for me. I just feel like the upside might be higher with Flott based on some of his traits. But again, you're right. I mean, the tape's been better than Robinson. Robinson actually has some reps on the outside at the NFL level. So he actually has real experience. And for the most part, like you said, it's probably going to be mostly a redshirt season for Flot, other than him competing. Not to say he can't compete to win in the slot now that their cornerback position is so dire straits on the inside. But as far as like him stepping up and playing a boundary role in year one, you're right. That's probably uh, way too optimistic on my end, I would say. And I guess the expectation is hopefully Robinson can just hold up against the better corners. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So the chart that I was looking for that suggests that he aligned outside, I think was all that's post-snap. So after the routes are right, distributed, right. where do they end up? But pre-snap, his alignment, he aligned much more in the slot. He aligned 357 times in the slot, according to Pro Football Focus, pre-snap, and then 178 times outside a corner on the boundary or just, you know, field, whatever side it was on. But that still suggests like, hey, they trusted him enough to go outside. Right, now, right. how much of that was motioned, then, you know, uh, then he followed because they weren't true man coverage. I'm not really 100% certain, but I have seen tape of him playing outside. And I was like, okay, like this guy can do this at the SEC level, despite his lack of, of weight and all of that so something that i that i'm interested to see how it plays out in in 2022 yeah and that's i guess that's kind of what i saw too and so i'm, I'm definitely curious if he can do it quick but i think you're as i talked it through with you nick you kind of came i came around more to toward your point of view here that i think it's more long term there and as far as if we're just talking 2022 what the hell are they going to do for the outside corner position in a system that makes it incredibly important role you're right. The options are probably more so Robinson, Rodarius, 
and Julian Love, and we'll see. Because I don't think I think we both agree Darnay Holmes is not going to play outside in this system or, or any system really. And so it's interesting to see what those guys can do because they don't really, like you said, Jimmy Smith would be great in an ideal world. It'd be very nice, but I just don't know if it makes uh, financial sense for the Giants or if if there's a financial possibility for the Giants and if it makes sense for him, Jimmy Smith alone himself. I don't even know if Jimmy Smith what he could do. This is somebody right. who played less than 300 snaps last year, and he's going to be 34 years old at the start of the season. So he's, he's getting older. I mean, I like his size and his physicality, his line of scrimmage skills, all those things that I've seen throughout the years. I appreciate it about Jimmy Smith, but is he too long in the tooth at this point? I think that's a fair question to ask. And one thing I will say, and we'll get into this a little bit later in the podcast too, Dan, like there is a lot of opportunity for a lot of players now with, with the fact that the Giants didn't get Sauce Gardner or Derek Stingley. And you look at some of these guys down the depth chart, if they can rise to this occasion and seize this moment, seize the day, as Avenged Sevenfold would say, then they, they can really make themselves some money and earn themselves a role on this roster. Yeah, we might see some really fun breakouts that are unexpected, that are just good to have in year one of a rebuild. Because look, like you said, since the draft, we've had two things happen. They cut their number one corner and they and or since the draft happened and they added a pretty much like you said, mostly developmental pick. 20 years old, only 175 pounds, Cordell Flott. So it's really interesting to see what will happen there. A lot of these guys they inherited are going to have a chance to really prove to the new new regime and new staff that they belong to be here and that they're not just here because the old staff liked them. And so let's transition here, Nick. Let's get to some winners and losers from the draft on the Giants. So these are players who Benefited the most or lost the most after the draft. And I'll start with the number one winner here, and that'll be Daniel Jones. There's no doubt in my mind that this draft was great for Jones. First of all, the Giants did not invest in the quarterback position, and they had chances to invest in some of the top-ranked players, quote-unquote, or who knows how their board was at quarterback. I would love to know how the Giants viewed this quarterback class just so we can evaluate the position for future drafts, but we won't know. But they didn't take a chance on any of those quarterbacks. Hell, they didn't even, they were projected to be interested in Sam Howell. They didn't even draft him in round four when he fell that far. So they this showed at least some faith in Daniel Jones, I think. But regardless of the faith it showed, they just didn't provide any extra competition for him in the sense of a, in the form of a rookie or anyone who could potentially take his job. More importantly, to me at least, they got Daniel Jones, Evan Neal, a blue chip offensive tackle, the second blue chip offensive tackle that he's been granted during his tenure with the Giants, Andrew Thomas being the first. They also added two more guys to compete on the interior offensive line. That's a big deal, too. They also added a top 70 pick to compete on the interior offensive line. They haven't done that in a long time. This was the first draft, like I said on a previous podcast, since 89, where they drafted two offensive linemen in the top 70. So that was big for Jones. And then they drafted Wandell Robinson, who, yeah, maybe in our mind might have not been the best overall receiver they could have given Daniel Jones on a long-term basis. But I think, Nick, on a short-term basis, this might have been the best possible fit for Jones. Because as we discussed on a previous podcast, and it it deserves repeating, it's going to provide Jones a lot more layups. That's what he needs, layup throws, easy throws that he can catch the ball from the gun or take the drop back, hit his back foot, and just get rid of the football. And it's not a situation where he read something pre-snap, he takes a look at something that was supposed to develop down the field or in the intermediate or the short intermediate range after snap. It's not there. He's staring. He's staring. He's staring. He doesn't get off that read. And then something bad happens. It's going to be plays where it's just like, it's there because it's not really like a, a long throw by any means. And now it's on the receiver to do something with the ball, whether that be Robinson or Tony, but now there's an extra guy who can help do that for him. And like you said, on a previous podcast, Nick, there's going to be times where both are on the field, Tony and Wandale, because Dable will run a Staves will run a system like that. And that's going to make it even easier to give Jones layups in the offense. So to me, Jones was the biggest winner from this draft. There's a lot of unique personnel packaging you can do with the Giants wide receiver room at the moment. Daniel Jones to me is by far and away the biggest winner from this draft, not just because they didn't go quarterback, but they passed on Malik Willis multiple times. They passed right. on those quarterbacks who just slid and Brian Dable and Joe Shane said, we're going to stick it out with Daniel Jones. They weren't lying. They said that a while ago and we were all like, ah, yeah, whatever. Okay. No, they weren't lying. And Daniel Jones is the quarterback right now for 2022. I think another big winner 
Saquon Barkley, Dan. They did not invest in the running back position, despite bringing in Brees Hall, despite bringing in James Cook. And those guys ended up going in the second round. So I'm happy that they didn't invest in those players, both players that I respect and I like their game. But now you have Saquon Barkley. You brought in the kid from Florida State to be an undrafted player, signed Matt Breida, signed Antonio Williams. But it looks like Saquon Barkley still could possibly have that three-down role. And you got rid of somebody who arguably played better than him last year, Devontae Booker, because of cap reasons, who was signed by the previous regime. So when you look at Saquon Barkley, too, somebody who's looking to get paid might not get paid by the New York Giants, but now he's a year removed from the serious injury that he suffered back in 2020 against the Chicago Bears. He has a full year with a competent offensive system to really showcase that he's still the guy that we saw in 2018. So I think Saquon Barkley is a huge winner. Yeah, I honestly think a case could be made. He's he's potentially even a bigger winner than Jones for the reason you said. He's in a contract season, and given the Giants' interest in guys like James Cook, who they brought in for a pre-draft visit, and a lot of those other top running backs, they really looked at a lo- almost all of them. He could have had a guy. He could have you know he could have lost some touches this year, some big time touches, not just third downs and passing downs, but like a series every once or twice, or every one or two or three down. He loses a series. And that would have impacted his ability to reset his market value and free agency, like you said, going into a contract year, coming off all these injuries. So that alone makes him a winner. But then you look at the other things you mentioned. Well, we added him Evan Neal. And yeah, Evan Neal is not maybe Ike Iguanu as a run blocker yet, but Evan Neal is a big dude who's going to definitely be better against the better for him in the run game than Nate Solder. There's just no way in my mind he's not going to be better for him in the run game right away. You also give him Mark Lewinsky, who in no way, shape, or form is going to be not better for him in the run game than Will Hernandez was. You also give him competition at left guard, who in no way, shape, or form is going to be worse than Matt Skira and the idiots who we had there. No, I shouldn't say idiots. The guys who we had there at left guard last year. And even John Feliciano is going to do a better job than, uh, why am I forgetting his name? The B- Billy Price, the center who we had in last year. So there's really a potential for four upgraded positions on the offensive line. Maybe, maybe Daniel Bellinger adds something in the blocking game as a tight end. So you give him that too. And you don't give him the competition. And like you said, Nick, you give him the better system. One that we already saw in the start of minicamp. And I know it's voluntary, but we already saw the blurb start to come out from the beat writers. Wow, they're really moving Barkley around. Wow, they're really designing touches for him in the passing game. And that's something we actually saw, if you remember, Nick, during the very short span where Freddie Kitchens got the goal plays for the Giants last year. That first game, they manufactured a ton of touches for him in the passing game. I think that's going to be a big part of what Dabes and Kafka want to do with Barkley. And so he's just an all-around winner from this draft. I think you could do a lot of interesting things to isolate Saquon Barkley against linebackers, and it's going to force a lot of the defense to use lighter personnel packages if Barkley is torching these 240-pound linebackers. So I I think that's another interesting chess game that that Brian Dable can leverage against the defense. It's something we saw a little bit last year under Jason Garrett, maybe not enough. We've seen opposing offensive coordinators exploit Tay Crowder, who we'll get into in a little bit in the past, using J.D. McKissick's athletic ability out on the boundary against Tay Crowder. So I think Saquon Barkley, he he can be tailor-made as a running back who can offer that type of skill set, as can Wondell Robinson and Kandarius Tony, And that's why I'm really interested to just see what this product looks like, because there's a ton of upside here. Yeah, without a doubt. And that brings me to the next winner. For me, it's Wondell Robinson. How many times have we seen players like Wondell Robinson be drafted into it onto a team and they just simply don't have the right system in place for him. They don't know what to, how to use him in, in, in day, uh, you know, in day on day one and year one, eventually he becomes kind of this gadget player that makes spark plays occasionally a special team. I think in Robinson's case, he's going to the right system because when you spend a 44th overall pick on a player like Robinson, who's five, eight, you know, who's going to be an outlier from a size standpoint, you're doing so because you have a specific idea in mind. Like Daves and Kafka have met together before the draft. And they're like, we're looking for this, this type of player. And that's what Robinson is, the type of player they already have ideas in mind for. They're already going to have a system in place that utilizes his skill set. So to me, he's a big winner in this class because he's going to have the opportunity now to go to a system that's going to use him right away. It's not There's not going to be a long period of time, I don't think, before he gets on the field. Yes, I like the Wandell Robinson call. And I, like I said, I hope they do have a really big plan for Wandell Robinson because I'm not poo-pooing the pick or anything like that, but just being real here, he has a lot of outlier type of traits that he's going to have to overcome to to 
prove the value of this pick. Now, that's not a slight against him. I love Wando Robinson and his playmaking ability. And I'm really interested and intrigued to see what Brian Dable can do with his skill set. And if they do have that plan and they can put that plan into place, then it's going to be great to see how Wandell and Kadarius and Kenny G and all these other offensive pieces can coexist on this roster. Now, another player, John Feliciano, think he's a winner. He's a winner because let's assume Nick Gates is not going to be back because of the injury, which is entirely unfortunate. Who else is competing for the center spot right now? Unless they cross uh, cross train someone like Joshua Azudu, who didn't do that at UNC. You're looking at Max Garcia, another veteran that they signed from Arizona who played a little bit of center for them. John Feliciano has the inside track on this offensive center position in an offense where he has played with Brian Dable. He's played under Brian Dable. He knows that system. He knows what Brian Dable wants, knows the terminology. So Feliciano was getting a little bit long in the tooth. He's an older type of player. They didn't address center. So I think he's somebody who will more than likely be the week one starter, and he can try to solidify that. And I'm looking forward to seeing how he does it. Yeah, you nailed it, Nick. This was a good draft for John Feliciano because no one knows what's going to happen with Nick Gates at this point. We're all hoping for the best there. Time will tell. But as far as Feliciano goes, they didn't draft an immediate guy to start. And when you draft the center within the first, let's say the Giants had drafted a center at rounds one, two, or three. Luke Fortner, for example, a guy we were high on who went earlier than, than some might have expected. Most people expect that guy to start in year one, right? Creed Humphrey started in year one. Um, it didn't take long for Hennessy to get to get going as a starter a couple of years ago. These guys, these interior offensive linemen, when they're drafted on day two or day one, are going to be assumed to be starters almost immediately. So the fact that they bypassed that shows a lot of confidence they have in Feliciano. It's just so funny to me, Nick, that all of our winners so far, we've made, named five, have all been on the offensive side of the ball. It's like I'm falling back into this trap, Nick, but I really believe the Giants offense can take a big step again in 2022. I thought that last year. Obviously, I was wrong. Again, I did share those concerns after the Patriots game, probably not as much as I should have in the preseason, just bad about bad the offensive line looked. But I got a lot more confidence now in this offensive line because they got depth, they got competition on the interior. We know from past, you know, just knowing the NFL, it's easier to fill the interior than the than the exterior. And they now have two legit tackles. Like last year it was Parrot versus Solder. Now it's Evan Neal. That's a massive, massive difference. Even just going from Hernandez to Glowinski to me is a massive, massive difference on the the right side is just going to be so much better. I find it so hard to believe it it won't take that jump going from going from Hernandez and Solder or an occasional parrot snap to Feliciano and Neil every snap. And so with that said, it's crazy that I've come around to it, but I feel like the offense can really take a step forward. Now it's the defense we have to worry about. And that brings us to our next winner of the draft. And that's your boy, Aaron Robinson. And he's my boy too. I like Aaron Robinson, but, but Robinson, a clear cut winner because as he enters this season now, and we just went over it in depth, Nick, so we don't have to go over it too much, but he has the clear path right now to the 95 to hundred percent snap role that that outside corner position is in Wick Martindale's system. Things could get ugly for him out there. I'm not saying that's not the possible, but he's a winner as far as playing time goes. And his now, you know, the ability he has to prove himself as an outside corner, which will give him a lot more value moving forward. There could be growing pains. Like Aaron Robinson could get, I mean, he's going to be lining. <laughs> yeah. He's going to be lining up one-on-one -on -one in some situations when Wink Martindale wants to bring heavy blitzes against guys like Devonte Adams and players like that. I'm just right. meaning like top guys, you know, like I know that they're not going to play the Raiders this year. So that's something that you have to keep in mind. But can he bounce back from that? Can he not allow that to get to him? Does he have the kind of competitive toughness to forget it? You need to have a short memory as a cornerback. And some of these other winners, they're cornerbacks. I think the entire cornerback room is technically winners right. now that James Bradbury is released because the opportunity is there for them. So group Jaron Williams and Rodarius Williams into that. Because I think both of those Williams, they can have a chance to play. If Aaron Robinson slips up or if these guys just outcompete Aaron Robinson, I don't believe Wink Martindale and players who didn't necessarily select Rodarius Williams or Aaron Robinson are going to be tied to those picks. I think if Jaron Williams goes in there and outperforms Aaron Robinson, Jaron Williams is going to be the starting cornerback. And I think it's an excellent opportunity for the entire youth movement in the Giants secondary right now, specifically at quarterback. Yeah, they're all winners from this draft, without a doubt. Let's get to some losers, though. I'll start with the first loser, the obvious one to me, Darius Slayton, the wide receiver who, man, we really were so high on him after his rookie season. It's crazy. It wasn't just the stats. We didn't care about that, me and you. We saw it on the tape. He had some really good releases off the route line of scrimmage. He had the vertical game going. 
He had, you know, he adjusted some passes in the air. I thought he showed good body control and the ability to adjust to off-target throws early on in his career. And it just seems like all of that has kind of gone the wayside. And, you know, there were rumors he was going to get traded during the draft. Obviously, no one had too much interest in trading for Darius Slayton on the final year of his contract. But as he stands right now, I think it's at the point where Giants don't really have the depth, in my opinion, to potentially cut him. Because even after adding Wondell Robinson, there's still a little light there. But I can see a scenario where they like the guys that they brought in, some of these undrafted free agents or just you know players that are coming back, and they do make a decision to cut Darius Slayton. It would not surprise me if he's a surprise cut in September. I don't have the numbers in front of me, Dan, but I would not be shocked if Darius Slayton was one of the top 10 most inefficient wide receivers over the last two seasons, but maybe a little bit more specifically last year. Slayton was dropping a lot of passes that Daniel Jones, who isn't always the the best quarterback, Daniel Jones was putting them in very catchable positions. Some of them were on third down. So Darius Slayton, man, I mean, it's been a fall from grace from his 2019 season, which I respected, but I mean, I wouldn't be shocked. I think it's like a $2.5 million cap saving. Don't quote me on that. I think it's that. And if that's the case and the giants are cap strapped and they want some money moving into the season after they sign this rookie class, I wouldn't be surprised if Darius Slayton is a surprise cut, but another loser is Matt Parrott. Matt Parrott was a top 100 pick selected 99th overall back in the 2020 draft by Dave Gettleman. He has played a significant amount. He's had his ups and downs. He has some good tape, some really bad tape. And it's weird because I expected his good tape to be in pass protection, but his bad tape is in pass protection and his better tape (laughs) is as a run blocker, which isn't necessarily what I expected. But I mean, he tours his knee up last year, which was wildly unfortunate for him. And then they go and they draft Evan Neal, which was the right move 100% of the time. They bring in Matt Gano, who Matt Parrott is now going to have to compete with to be a swing tackle. So the best case scenario with no injuries is Matt Parrott recovers and then he could be a swing tackle, but he has to beat Gano out for that. And this new regime is not married to him whatsoever. And he doesn't necessarily have great tape either to back himself up. So after this draft with the investment in the offensive line of bringing Evan Neal, Matt Parrott is an unfortunate loser here. Yeah, he is an unfortunate loser. And it's crazy because It's probably a lesson for us, Nick, because we are super excited about the parrot pick. But ultimately, you look at the history of offensive tackles succeeding at his pick range. It's unbelievably low. It's a he would have to have been a total outlier. You also look at what we liked about him, which was all projection based. And that's okay. I don't mind making projection based picks. The Giants, in my opinion, had a lot of multiple projection based picks within this draft class alone. But you can't really count those as guarantees. And with parrot situation. There were things we just didn't know about him from watching the film and from looking at his body type, like the dog in him that has been questioned. And that's ultimately really important. And like you said, that led us to kind of believe, well, maybe he can be a good pass protector. But pass protection takes time regardless of what your profile is. If you profile as a better pass protector than a run blocker, like let's say, for example, uh, Abraham Lucas or Zach Tom from this draft class or in the past like an Andre Dillard. Well, guess what? You still have to make the transition to the NFL as a pass protector, which we know as probably the hardest transition to make outside of playing wide tight end, which I think is truly the hardest transition to make playing wide tight end at the collegiate level versus playing wide tight end at the NFL level. There's just so many more bigger bodies you have to deal with at that position at the NFL level than the collegiate level. But a tackle, you know, you go from not having that many true pass sets to having to do true pass sets and you go from defending, you know, pass protecting against guys who, like you like to say, Nick, are going to be accountants, which I don't ultimately think is what their role will be in life, but maybe, hopefully for them. But they'll have some job outside of football. And now you got to pass protect against the Von Millers of the world. And these guys were just absolute freaks screaming off the edge against you. So I think whenever we take these 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 linemen, we have to consider them still as project picks. But it does suck for Parrot because we drafted him and we felt really strongly at the time that he could be in answer for the Giants. I was super excited about the pick. You were. It really felt like, wow, he has the length they love. Wow, this could easily be Gettleman's find at tackle. And he made some finds in Carolina. He made one big find in Carolina. So it didn't seem that far-fetched to me, Nick. But ultimately, it seems like after this draft, maybe he can be their swing tackle, we hope. But I wouldn't even be shocked, honestly, Nick, if some of the guys they brought in to compete at tackle end up beating him out for the swing tackle role. Would you be? No, I wouldn't be shocked by that. Again, this regime is not tied to Matt Pear at all. And he's coming off of a very serious injury. And he had very unreliable tape before that. I mean, we always go back to the 2020 game against Baltimore where three sacks were surrendered from his side. They weren't all his fault. 
but it was obvious that Wink Martindale, the current Giants defensive coordinator, was scheming to manipulate Matt Parrott, and they took advantage of a young player in that situation. He's still a young player. He hasn't shown it yet. Do I? Is the jury completely out on him? No. Is the jury kind of out on him here in New York? Maybe, unless serious injury happens, knock on wood. Matt Parrott needs... Maybe he needs the dog in him. I don't really know. I'm not in the locker room. That Those are just reports from the prior regime. But when you look at this draft, you look at Evan Neal, that's not great for Matt Parrott's future here in New York. I mean, that's just obvious. Yeah, without a doubt. All right, let's get to another loser here. I'm going with Tate Crowder because Tate Crowder, the past regime loved him. I don't know. If, I don't even want to say they loved him. I feel like they were just kind of screwed at the inside linebacker position. Once Blake Martinez went down, they didn't build a contingency plan there. And so ultimately he was forced to play a major role, but man, I look at this draft, Nick between Beavers and McFadden. I think there's a good chance that Crowder could really lose snaps this year, like at a massive rate. I'm not so certain that right away, He's not going to that right away. McFadden's not going to be a better fit for the system because again, they're both learning the system at the same time. Crowder and McFadden, sure. Crowder has the leg up because he's played at the NFL level, but ultimately, this is a you know a former last pick of the draft who has some really bad tape out there. If we're going to be completely honest about the situation, he was not a good player for the Giants last year, and it's versus a guy like McFadden who the regime specifically handpicked to come in and fit this exact system. And the same could go for Beavers, who obviously plays more of a versatile role and may not be competing for the same type of snaps and role. But I wouldn't be shocked, Nick, if Crowder is just a pure special teamer at some point in 2022. It might not happen right away, but if we're talking second half of the season, I could totally see some games where he has just all special team snaps. Yeah, have him miss one run fit, over-pursue, and it leads to like a 10-yard gain or something. It's going to lead to some of these younger guys getting on the football field. And I really like the fact that, at least I, I think – this new coaching staff is going to allow these players to compete. Like Tay Crowder, if he competes his ass off, man, and he proves that, hey, this is my spot. I've improved because of X, Y, Z. I put the work in. Tay Crowder is going to play. I think he will play over Micah McFadden if he looks better than Micah McFadden. I don't think every coaching staff does that. They get their guys like, this is our guy. We're going to, but. I don't know if Tate Crowder is going to get to that level because you're right, Dan. The tape wasn't great. He was never really in the position he had to be in. He was more scrambling around and not trusting his keys and not really trusting his eyes. His eye discipline was really, really off. It was bad. Now, I think he can win the job. How long will he hold it is the big question mark. I ultimately believe the same thing as you. I think Micah McFadden by year's end will probably seize that job from Tay Crowder, but anything can happen. And I think he'll have a realistic opportunity to compete. Yep. Without a doubt. Let's move on to the next one. I think lost in this draft, or this is, we can combine these two Carter Coughlin and Cam Brown, two more linebackers. So like the giants are changing what they want to do at linebacker right now. And they brought in multiple linebackers to help them do that. Really three, if you consider Thibodeau, which is not necessarily an inside backer, but he does play off the edge. And there were times when we saw Car uh, Coughlin off the edge, really didn't find a role for Brown in general, but there were times we saw him come off the edge. And so if you just consider the second level defenders, the Giants brought in, brought in three of them, it's going to make things tough for these, you know, regime holdovers like Carter Coughlin and Cam Brown. And I'm not so sure they're going to make the roster. Cam Brown's interesting because he is excellent on special teams. Thomas McGahee is still there, but like the new just era of the special teams with under Brian Dable, if they're going to still want to keep Cam Brown, I, I think since he, reportedly busts his ass he should be fine from a roster standpoint and i honestly think he can fit with what wink martindale wants to do Mar martindale loves to have different body types and cam brown has that quote-unquote unicorn type of body in terms of just insane length at the second level carter coughlin i wanted to see him more at linebacker but he ended up getting injured last year which was unfortunate but he is somebody who was an edge in college if, if he can really hold up at linebacker still and all the training that he put into being a linebacker last offseason if it pays off in this season i think he can be an asset coming forward and being a, a blitzing type of player within wink Martindale's scheme so i see where you're coming from with those two being losers but i'm really interested to see if, if they can at least buck that and prove that they can play within this system because on paper it seems like their skill sets would transition well to what martindale wants to do yeah that is fair they do i could agree with that they do on paper at least seem like potential fits i just don't know if ultimately that's going to be too they're going to be too crowded that position um not to make a pun on the on the take crowder name but <laughs> but let's move on to another loser i think from this class at least for me ellerson smith 
I liked Ellison Smith pick last year, a total developmental pick, bet on traits type of guy that I really like. But obviously, if you draft Kayvon Thibodeau, he's going to play a hefty sum of snaps. Like potentially, he could be on the field for all a lot, like maybe close to 100% of snaps. Probably not that within the system. That that was a stupid thing to say, but like more snaps than the edge, maybe. Same thing goes for Ojolari. And so Ellison is someone who I didn't ultimately think greatly fit the system anyway to begin with. I liked him more. I really like him more as just a 4-3 defensive end, to be honest, like an even front defensive end, which the Giants didn't run last year and they're not running now. So obviously they saw him as something else, the last regime, so maybe he can fit. So I'm curious to get your take on if you think Smith is a loser from this class just because of Thibodeau, or if you think that he'll still probably have a good chance to really fit what Martindale wants to do. Man, he's so quick. His lateral agility and his get-off are are really, really explosive. So I think that... I don't want to consider him a loser. I mean, it's not great that the Giants invested heavily in edge for him just because, like you said, he's going to lose snaps. But I still think there's a role for Ellerson Smith on this team. I would consider somebody maybe more of a loser is Raymond Johnson, RJ3. Yeah, Yeah, like he's somebody that we don't really talk about that much. Like, yeah, he's a back-end roster player, but he played over 100 snaps last year. And it's not like they were all just in in the back half of the year and we're all garbage time. Like he was playing in week one. He played in week three. He played in week five. Like he was playing in some important games when the Giants were competing, but he was a true Joe Judge type of individual. He has a good size, you know, six foot three, 270 pounds. But when you bring in a new coaching staff, Raymond Johnson, the third is really going to have to show like, Hey man, like I want to be here. He's going to have to go above and beyond. I think again, he'll have the opportunity to do that, but his tape from last year wasn't all that great. And I know he's a he was a young player coming out of Georgia Southern, but I I look at the Ellerson Smiths of the world and I look at players like that and I think those guys are going to have an inside track and then even some of the undrafted dudes like the the kid Jabari Ellis who's a little bit of a different body type that they got from South Carolina I believe I think he's going to be in competition with Raymond Johnson the third and it's not great yeah that's a great point and so we'll see what happens there but that's definitely a loser from the draft a couple more potential losers here Nick that I want your take on. Based on obviously what they did in the draft, two holdovers: Shane Lemieux and Ben Bre- and Ben Bredesen. One coming off the injury, who the old regime loved; the other, who the old regime panic traded for. But we liked a little more, especially when he came out in the draft. I'm curious what your take on is. What your take is on them within this new system, and just if their chance, you know, their chances of making the roster with this now. Thank God, it's so good to say crowded interior offensive line depth chart. It's it's amazing to say, Dan, and I'm excited about it. And I honestly think when the Giants added someone like Josh Azudu, who is a really good athlete with really quick feet, can get up to the second level, that just suggests to me that the Giants are going to try to move in a direction where they're much more spread out and they want to get their offensive linemen up to the second level. They want guys who can locate. They want guys who are athletic, who can have a lot of range, foot speed, all of those things that Shane Lemieux struggles with a little bit. So I don't think it looks too pretty for Shane Lemieux. Now, as for Ben Bredesen, I find it a little interesting with Ben Bredesen because Ben Bredesen's a better athlete to me than a Shane Lemieux, but he's still not somebody who was going to be tied to this to this regime, and it's a very, very crowded interior offensive line room. So it could come down to Ben Bredesen and Shane Lemieux competing for a final spot. I I don't like I don't like the the reality for either player. I think they can easily make the squad. I, I I don't think it's ridiculous. Ben Bredesen, I believe, has some snaps at center, which will certainly help him. Shane Lemieux, though, it's it's a little uh, it's a little bit of a problem for him with the recent Giant additions and the fact that the Giants could be operating in a much more fast paced type of offense. Yeah, exactly. That's the biggest key for me: the pace of the offense and the expectation for what they want to do. And so we'll see what happens there as well. How about the final one for me, Darnay Holmes? Look, they drafted Cordell Flott to play the slot. That's, you know, not, again, terrible little rhyme there. But that's not, you know, that's nothing hidden right now. Everybody knows that's the case. And if what we say is true, that even if he does, you know, really project to eventually become this outside corner, well, then maybe Aaron Robinson ends up playing the slot. Ultimately, I don't know if this is a good thing for Holmes either way. Yes, they lost Bradbury. That should help Holmes. But no, I just don't know if he fits what they want to do. And really where he can play now because he's going to have to compete against a guy who's probably already better than him as a slot corner, potentially, especially within this system. 
Yeah, I agree with the Darnay Holmes call. And I said earlier that all the secondary pieces won. Darnay Holmes is the one that didn't just because Cordell Flott projects maybe to be a slot a little bit more than an outside guy. So it's basically like they drafted over Darnay Holmes, who has solid tape. And I honestly think he can play some man coverage. Yeah. I think he has man coverage upside. Gets a little bit grabby at the top of breaks and his length always has worked against him. And I also love how physical he is pound for pound. I think this new coaching staff will appreciate the fact that he is relentless in run support, but definitely selecting someone like Cordell Flott doesn't necessarily bode well for someone like Darnay Holmes. I have one more player, and Dan, he was a, uh, I, I, we don't have him on the list. I want to see if you can guess him. He was a loser after the last draft and somehow he's stuck on the roster and now he's still there. And I, I, I think that like his skill set could also translate. He's never been that great against the run. He was a 2019 draft pick by the New York Giants, and that is O'Shane Zimenez. Oh, I, yeah. I, that's one where I, I'm curious to see. You if said you want to see if I can guess him, and you just gave it away, Nick. Damn, I wanted a chance to guess. Ah, uh, damn, I'm sorry, man. I see you didn't – I didn't I, – I was expecting yeah, I, you to, I, I was supposed to step in, wasn't I? Damn it. Yeah, yeah. No, but I didn't give you a lot of breathing room there, so that is that is on me. I'll, I'll take the L on that one. But O'Shane, I think, is another one that we can probably lump in here to say, look, I can see how we would have a role – on this team, but they brought in Darian Beavers and Micah McFadden, totally different players from Moshe and Zimenez. Yes, I can agree with that, but they also added someone like a Jihad Ward in free agency. You add Kayvon Thibodeau. I feel like for whatever reason, I don't know how fair this is. I feel like O'Shane suffers more than someone like Ellerson Smith. And maybe that's because O'Shane is entering his final year of his contract. And we haven't seen a lot from O'Shane since his 2019 rookie season, whereas Ellerson Smith was hurt most of last year. And there's could possibly be more upside there for someone like Ellerson Smith. I think that's probably where my mind is going. But yeah, if I had to pick another call, this is, I think yeah. he's one of the biggest losers here. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be shocked if O'Shane Smith doesn't make this roster. Yeah, I think there's a good chance he gets cut, which will be, you know, the final, well, not the final, the, you know, one of the final pieces that Beckham trade, obviously Dexter Lawrence was also within that trade and he's, he's been picked up. So they would still get Lawrence out of that, but yeah, it would be a disappointing end to Zimmonen's career. I just think ultimately, like you said, the biggest issue for Zimmonen's is what you've always talked about, Nick. He's not a complete player. He struggles against the run. He's in very, very much so a liability against the run. It's that limits what he can do in a coach's mind. Like these coaches don't want to put these guys who they feel are one way players on the field very often. So fortunately that's plagued him in addition to the injuries. And I think you're right. I think, I think he has a good chance of getting cut. He does. And I have one more too. And this one's a little bit off the beaten path because he was just signed by the New York giants. And that's Richie James, the wide receiver that they signed. I believe he was drafted at a middle Tennessee state a few drafts ago by the San Francisco 49ers. And I think we all expected him to be a special teams guy anyways, so it's not that big of a deal. But when you draft somebody like Wandell Robinson, I feel like that directly that will directly affect a player like Richie James getting some offensive snaps. Now, I still think he can make the roster, but I think the Giants envision Wandell Robinson doing what they would have tasked Richie James to do if they wanted to use Kadarius Toney in another manner when, they, when they're both coexisting on the field. It's a great call because, you know, if they come out of this draft without getting Wondell Robinson or a player like him who they targeted. And again, one of the reasons we believe they really like Robinson is because he was pretty unique at what he was able to give them or what he's going to be able to give them within this class. But they didn't come out with him. Something had happened and someone took him before they took him. I think there would have been a role for James. And I think that was kind of their insurance plan for if they didn't find someone. But now that they have, you're right. I just don't know if I see a role for him and it'll be interesting on the flip side of that I'm actually intrigued by a player who I think has had some really good snaps and limited time. I don't want to call him a winner yet, but I'll be someone who I'm keeping an eye on. I have two guys. I'm really keeping an eye on in the back end of this roster that were aside from obviously the UDFAs taking those, you know, putting those aside because we can talk about that on a, on a future pod. Those two guys, Nick are Robert Foster, the wide receiver who they used to be on the bills from Alabama. Well, I actually think has put some good snaps together at the NFL level and I think he could be an interesting potential like arbitrage play for Slayton if they don't like Slayton. And the other one would be, and this is going to be funny as I try to pronounce his name, but Roy Beteka, Beteka, the kid they got from Nigeria. Have you seen how this kid looks? He looks like what Matt Parrott was supposed to be, but stronger. Yeah, I've seen what he looks like, but I haven't seen like obviously any football tape yeah, or anything like that. So it's all projection. Just banking but it on the trades. Yeah, exactly. Banking on the trades. I like those calls. The Nigerian kid that came from Usu Yumanura, I believe he had a hand in the international pathway program with this specific player, Roy Mbateka, I guess. I'm not really 100% certain how to pronounce that. 
hey, if he can go into training camp and show and, and be like the Giants' Jordan Malata, who was actually drafted, but still, I would love that. Imagine him as the swing tackle and Matt Parrott and Matt Gano lose out to him. That would be such a cool story. Right, and that's what I'm that's what I'm kind of hoping for. Maybe he ends up on the practice squad year one. That's fine, but I got high expectations. I'm just going to bank on the upside because it's fun. All right, that's all we have for today on the Big Blue Vanger podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. One thing I'm going to ask and start asking again, I haven't been asking for a while. Please, if you do enjoy this podcast, it's going to continue to be free. We're going to continue to do it at a high level and at a free high frequency level, but we need your help in one way. Please head over to either iTunes or Spotify. Make sure you do a few things for us, and they're all they're all only going to take a minute or two. One, if you haven't left us a rating and review, please leave us a five-star rating and write up a little review. If you want to write a question in there, we haven't seen any in a while, or at least iTunes isn't updating any. We see the questions on iTunes, so if you drop an iTunes question, we'll answer it on the pod. But otherwise, just please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us grow. And please make sure that you subscribe to or follow the podcast. That's the second thing that helps us grow. And the third thing would be, if you're going to listen to the episode, please click download. Even if you're going to delete after, click download in, in addition to just clicking play. Because that's obviously super important for us, probably the most important thing. So those three things, do those for us, and we'll never ask you for anything else. And we do really appreciate your continued support. Have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you soon. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.